This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. Well, good morning. It is good to see you and to greet you also in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My name is Jeff, and I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Church, and I want to extend a special welcome to our moms. We love you, are grateful for you, and it is right to give honor to whom honor is due, and honor is certainly due each and every one of you. Today we are finishing our Why Church series. Typically, what we do at Christ Church is we have a book of the Bible that we just work through kind of systematically. We've been doing this with the book of Luke for uh, almost going on two years now, and after today, we're going to get back in that series, and we're going to be in it to win it, uh, in it to the end, which will be sometime in, uh, in June, and so looking forward to getting back into that. But we felt like it was a necessary time um, to refocus, to re-envision as we start to regather here as a church on, on why church? Why church? What's, what's the purpose of this church? We've been in this series because in our culture, Faith is becoming more and more privatized, and as a result, is becoming more and more marginalized. You see, when faith is a private thing, it is very easy for it soon to be an irrelevant thing. But God's Word stands as a radical counterculture. And we've seen throughout this series how God's Word tells us that faith is not meant to be just an individual experience, but rather something that we live out together as the church. The church means the gathered ones. It, it is God's community of people brought together through our shared faith in Jesus. And we need the church for our spiritual vitality. As coals keep each other on fire, so too our being together is what keeps us on fire and our faith in Christ warm. We need the church. And this world needs the church. Because Jesus said that as we live out our faith in our neighborhoods together, doing good deeds in the name of Jesus and sharing the good news of Jesus, Jesus said that the church acts like salt working against the decay of this world and like light pushing back its darkness. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And so for the sake of our souls... And for the sake of other people, it is important that we have a robust answer to the question, why church? And I do want to just extend this invitation that if you're not yet a member here of our church, we'd love to explore that more with you, what it means to be a member here. You can actually go on our website, click on um, the hub uh, click on membership interest after that, and uh, we'll send you a link with some videos that you can watch to talk about more what it means to be a member here at Christ Church. We'd love to explore God's call for you in that. Um, I know some of you, if you're watching this and maybe here this morning, you submitted in some forms this, uh, this week, and we didn't send that out to you. Uh, I was away this week. It was a glorious time. I was in Frisco, Texas with all the pastors in our denomination, and it was a great time being there, even though it is cowboy country. Um, I made it back alive, praise the Lord. And so um, 
uh, but, but I didn't get it back to you this morning, but I, am, I did get back to you this morning and sent out that link, so don't worry. Uh, if you click on that link, I promise we will get out the resources to you that we say we will. And some of you I know have started watching those videos, which is great. I want to encourage you to go ahead and sign up to meet with one of the pastors uh, so that we can plan our schedule. We'd love to be able to get to you. We are looking to welcome new members in sometime in June, and so it'd be great for you to continue in that process. Well, please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, if you're new to the Bible, there's a cheat sheet in the front of every Bible. They'll tell you a table of contents. Uh, we have Bibles over by the door if you need to go ahead and grab one, or obviously you can pull up an app on your phone. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is a letter written by Paul, um, one of the persons who write most of the New Testament to a church in Ephesus. But these words, not just his words, these words were inspired by God for each and every one of us. Last week... I started preaching on our church values, the things that we want to have shape our church culture here at Christ Church. We have eight values, and it was originally my intention to preach all those values in one sermon, and our pastoral team sat me down and looked at me like I had two heads and said, no, you need to make at least two sermons. Um, so we're going to do part two today. Last week, we looked at our values of gospel centrality and community and mission and serving. Today we're going to look at our values of diversity, equipping, an urban imperative, and the next generation. And we're going to read together Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16, which doesn't explicitly name each of these values, but I think does give us a framework for which we can think about these things. Let's listen to God's holy, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. This is what God says to us through his servant Paul. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Praise God for his holy word. May he be with us now through his Holy Spirit as we listen to the preaching of his word. So we have eight values as a church. Last week we looked at our first four. Today we're going to look at our last four. And so we're going to start today with value number five. Our value of diversity. You know, diversity is a pretty hot topic right now in our culture. Uh, you can go almost anywhere to get diversity training. Most job Places have, you know, diversity, inclusion, workshops. Everyone's talking about diversity, but we want to be clear. We've had this value long before it was trending on Twitter. And that's because God taught this value long before anyone else even cared about it. Notice in, verses, in verse 11, as God talks about how there are different people doing different things. Diversity. And then notice in verse 16 how it talks about the whole body 
is joined together by every joint with which it's equipped when each part is working properly. This, is, again, is a metaphor that we've seen throughout Scripture of how God talks about his church as a body. Christ is the head. He is the one who controls, directs, and has authority over the church. But we, as his church, as people who have placed their faith in Christ, we, as his church, we're meant to be his body. We're meant to be different parts of his body for the purpose of building ourselves up in his love. Our common purpose is to grow together in love as the body of Christ. The church is not a social club. Church is not a community activist group, although certainly we try to do good things for our community here. What the church fundamentally is, it's people who come together so that we might grow more and more in the understanding of our faith and the application of it to our lives for the purpose of becoming stronger and stronger as the body of Christ. We saw what it means for us to be the body of Christ in our first sermon in this series. As we saw, the purpose of the church is to embody Christ to one another. Again, Jesus is our head, but the church is meant to be his body. Our bodies are how we experience one another, isn't it? So the church is meant to be where we experience the loving hands of Jesus reaching out to us. The church is meant to be where we experience the loving arms of Jesus enfolding us. The church is meant where we're meant to experience the strength of Jesus as standing with us in our faith. The church is the body of Christ, and as we come together, we come together to build our lives together so that we can more and more be strengthened as his body. But in order to do that, in order to really experience the strength of being Christ's body, then we need to have diversity. A healthy body can't be all hands. A healthy body can't be all feet. A healthy body can't be all knees. It certainly can't be all elbows. A healthy body needs different parts of the body joined together in their differences. Not leaving their differences behind, but joined together in their differences for the common purpose of building together the body of Christ. We we come together as different people from different places, joined together through our faith in Christ. And we need that in order to be healthy and to thrive. Now, as we talk about diversity, we need to be clear about how we define that because since the culture talks about so often, what we mean when we say diversity is different than what the culture means. Diversity in our culture is simply anything that makes us different from one another. It's anything. anything it, could be, it could be a feeling that we have. It could be a desire that we have. Anything that makes us different, that's diversity and should be celebrated. But in the Bible, not everything that makes us different from one another is necessarily a good thing. So, for example, how you and I might be tempted to sin, we might have different desires for different things, and those things might not be good for us. They might not be what God wants for us, and we should not celebrate those different desires and differences. No, we should repent of them and come back to obedience in Christ. You see, there are times when our innate desires need to be laid down in obedience to God's word. And as we do that, that does not make us less of who we are. Our culture says that we need to express every desire that we have. That's what it means to be human. No, God's word says that he is our creator and we're to live as his creation. That's what it means to be human. And so being the most human is not how we self-define. Being the most human comes from embracing our nature as God's creation and living by his good design. And part of God's good design is that he has created various kinds of diversity. 
And so the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter, Genesis chapter 1, we see God creating diversity of gender. He creates male and female. We know now through the study of biology, he has literally written that into our DNA. There's only two types of DNA in the world. There's XY and XX. There is male and female. God has created that because God wanted there to be two different genders. We see God creating diversity of age. Not everyone lives to the same age. There's diversity of generations. We see God from those two people creating all kinds of different peoples as God creates different races. Spread throughout the globe and people who start to look different from one another. God creates that. That's his intention. God's created all kinds of diversity through how we then have different skills and different things that we're good at. Different people doing different things. And so since God has created so many different kinds of diversity, we want to join God and look at what God has created and say, that is good. That is beautiful. This is by your intentional, wise, sovereign, and good design. We want to be a church where we have people who are very different from one another. But our differences are like a mosaic. And that when it all comes together, it is more beautiful than any one of us could ever be by ourselves. But I think we need to be honest as we talk about the value of diversity. Diversity can be really hard. Being different from one another means, guess what? We're going to have differences with each other. And those differences at times can cause tension. We won't see things the same way. We don't experience life the same way. Weren't there so many things just in the year 2020 where we're like, how on earth is that your perspective on that issue? That can cause tension, can't it? And we have two options to deal with that tension. Option one is we can cease to relieve that tension by going and joining a group of people who think exactly like we do. We can stay in our social media algorithms that just feed back all the stuff that we already think and we become captivated by our own echo chamber of our opinions. We can have groupthink or we can embrace that tension as a necessary and healthy part of how God intends us to live together. And there's actually a balance that we need to have as our different perspectives bring us together to find unity in God's word. In other words, what we can do is we can either run from the challenge of diversity or we can apply the sermon we heard from Pastor Matt and allow the gospel to empower us to maintain our unity despite our differences. We heard about the gospel last week. We heard how in 1 Corinthians 15, it summarizes what the gospel, what the good news, it's what the word gospel means, what, what that is. It is the five fingers, right? Christ died for our sins. And he was raised, so we make a fist to denote his power. Christ, God sent Jesus to be the Christ. Christ means anointed one. Jesus came for a purpose. God the Father sent Jesus to be the Christ and Jesus came empowered by the Holy Spirit as the Christ. We worship a God who is one God, but this God exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father sent Jesus to be the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. <laughs> the Holy Spirit empowers Jesus to be the Christ. Christ came for a purpose. He came to die. Christ died. 
Jesus did not just happen to find himself on a cross. No, he was born in that manger in Bethlehem so that he could go to the hill on Calvary, die, what? For our sins. The immortal God came and put on mortal flesh so that he could be killed for us. Because the wages of our sins, what our sins against God deserve God to pay us is death. But Jesus came to take that payment for us. Jesus came to die our death on the cross. Christ died for our sins. But he didn't just stay dead. He showed that he truly is the Son of God. He showed that he truly has died our death on the cross because Jesus did not stay dead. He rose again in glorious resurrection power. Christ has died for our sins. We make a fist because he's no longer dead. There's power in the name of Jesus. And anyone who calls on Jesus will be saved. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And it is the gospel that is not just something that we believe that gives us a relationship with God. It's something that empowers our relationships with one another. Pastor Matt unpacked this so helpfully in the first couple of verses of Ephesians chapter 4 as he talked about how the gospel gives us power to be patient with one another because God's been patient with us. God did not just fly off the handle about our sin. No, he came to give us forgiveness through Jesus' death for us. God's been so patient with us. That empowers us to be patient with one another. The gospel positions us to be humble. I'm not thinking that I know everything, but no, I'm realizing that there's gaps to what I know, and I'm willing to lay down my preferences and pride for the sake of others as I follow Christ who laid down his life for me. The gospel empowers us to be gentle with one another. As God is not harsh or unkind, he does not treat us as we deserve, but instead is gentle towards us as Christ took all that we deserve. The gospel is what empowers us to bear with one another because Jesus has borne all our sins. You see, in order to experience true unity, unity where we're not just tolerating each other, where we're not just kind of, you know, putting up with each other, but truly celebrating one another. Celebrating one another, not because there's uniformity, but celebrating one another in our differences, celebrating one another in our diversity. The only way to truly experience unity in the midst of diversity is through the power of the gospel. In Jesus, we are able to be united no matter our age difference. We're able to be united no matter our racial difference. We're able to be united no matter our socioeconomic difference. We're able to be united in Christ as his body, as his family. We're able to be united in the power of all that God has done for us and the good news of Jesus. And so this is ultimately why we value diversity as a here, as a church. We don't do it because it's like a hot thing to do. We do it because our diversity coming together with all of our differences and not leaving them at the door, but bringing them into this place, coming together in all our differences, but singing with one voice about the Savior who saves us all, this makes much of Jesus. And so we're a church that values, we value diversity. Value number six, we value equipping. In verses 11 through 12, we see that God gave leaders to the church Not to be professionals that people pay to come and watch do their things. But watch, it says, God gave leaders to the church, in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now in Ephesians, saints is not like these 
really special holy people that, you know, we pray to or something like that. No, no, saints is every single Christian. Saints are those who have placed their faith in Christ, and as we are clothed in his righteous robes, we're made holy. We're made saints, not because we're perfect, but because Jesus is perfect, and when we're in him, we all become saints through him. Praise God. And so the saints is every single Christian. And the goal of leaders is to equip every Christian to do the work of ministry. And so good, healthy churches is not like going to a sports game where you pay to watch a few superstars perform and everyone else just sits back as a spectator and enjoys what they're doing. Be really clear, there are no superstars here. All right? I tell people all the time, the more you get to know me, the more you'll be disappointed by me. Uh, There are no superstars here whatsoever. And so we can't have any spectators here whatsoever. Good, healthy churches are where we need every member of the church involved in ministry to one another. And this ministry is the ministry of building up the body of Christ. Or as we define our mission here, how we try to articulate it is the mission of the church is to make new disciples of Jesus. So those who are not yet disciples, putting their faith in Jesus and becoming disciples, we exist to make new disciples. And then we don't just leave them there. No, we want to help them mature in their faith as disciples. I need to be matured. And so we make new disciples. We mature existing disciples. And then we don't just keep doing that and letting our church get bigger. No, we want to grow broader and start new churches in new places where disciples can be made and matured. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. This is the mission of the church. And this mission is too important It is too large to be entrusted to any one person. Let's just be really clear. If the church's ministry were capped at me, we'd be a pretty pathetic church. God wants us to do something that is bigger than any one of us by doing something that's possible only through all of us. And so we value equipping people Because we want each person to be equipped to play a meaningful part in this mission that God has given us. How how do we do that? How do we seek to equip people? Sit down there and do like a spiritual gift survey and try to figure out the unique ways you're made. And then, okay, here's the perfect role for you. I mean, that that, that might be helpful. Let me be really clear that that's not what we do here, though. How we encourage people to get involved in their part of doing ministry is... By developing a heart posture that wants to be used by God. In other words, how we equip people is not necessarily in what you do, but in how you think about yourself. We're called to be servants. And you know what? When you're a servant, what matters is not the part you play. What matters is that you're playing a part. One of my mentors would often say that he'd go looking for future pastors, not from seminary grads, but he'd want to see who is cleaning the toilets. Because now he's trying to downplay the importance of theological education. That that matters. But what matters more than theological education is a heart of saying, God, use me in whatever currently way you need me. And so it doesn't mean that we don't try to align people with their gift set. Certainly we do. There's a reason I don't sing on Sunday mornings, and my wife does. If you know me well. Yeah, I got pastors amen in me. Um, (laughs) We want people to use their gifts. But we don't want to enable people to find a false identity in their gifts. 
because there's only one identity we should have, and it's not found in what we do. Our identity is only found in who we are in Christ. Amen. In my former church, there was someone who saw themselves only as a music leader, and they were clearly gifted to be that. They're, they're phenomenal singer and great at leading us in song. However, there wasn't really a need for that position in the church at that time. There was plenty of other music leaders that were already doing stuff. And what was so sad was this person had so defined themselves as a music leader that they were unwilling to do anything else. And so for all I know, they're still sitting on the sidelines waiting for God to use them in the narrow way that they've defined that God can use them. How sad is that? And so we want to help people discover their gifts? Absolutely. No doubt. But even more than that, we want to help people discover the joy of saying in freedom, Lord, here's my life. Use me in whatever way you choose to. That, that, that's how we want to equip people. You know, there's this um, interesting phenomenon in physics. And uh, let me not surprise you, I'm, I'm not a physicist whatsoever. But I did take one physics class, so I think I qualify as an expert. Um, it was actually a terrible class. I hated every single moment of it. But, but if this illustration works, then God be glory, there was at least one redemptive thing. Um, through the study of physics, we know that it's easier to direct an object that's already in motion than it is to put an object in motion. And so it's easier to direct a ball that's already rolling than it is to push a ball and get it rolling. I think the same thing applies to serve in the Lord. The best way to be used by God and discover the gifts that God has given you to serve his purposes through his church, you know the best way to start discovering what your gifts are? is not trying to, you know, obsess about what those gifts are. It's just to start serving. And God will direct you as you go. I think about one of our pastors here, Pastor Matt. He's someone that we found in the bathrooms. He was cleaning the toilets because that's what needed to get done. And he graduated from that to an usher, and eventually to a setup crew member, and eventually to leading a setup crew, then leading a small group, and now here he is as a pastor. I'm not saying that to say that, you know, once you're a pastor, you've arrived. Again, if you know the pastors here, you know that is not true. Uh, but just tracing the development. This is what God does. And so we want to be a church where people come and don't stay on the sidelines as spectators but who come and are equipped to serve God in the various ways that God has gifted them. The best way to do that is just by getting involved somewhere. And if you're not yet involved anywhere, or maybe you used to be involved in things and you're still trying to figure out, you know, what's, you know trying to come back to church and come back to all these things, you know, post-COVID, uh, we'd love to get you plugged back in, and we've tried to make that really easy for you. So if you go to our church website and click on the hub, just click on serving interests, you could fill out. There's different needs that we have as a church. We'd love to get you plugged in and to allow you to experience the joy of serving the Lord. Value number seven. We have a value of an urban imperative. An urban imperative. When I first felt led to start a church here in the city, uh, we had an interest meeting at the church where I was pastoring. Hey, who wants to come, you know, think about this church plant with Jeff? And at that interest meeting, we had over 100 people show up. I think it was close to 120. It 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 was pretty incredible. But then I took a map and I drew about a half mile circle around this neighborhood. And I said, unless you're willing to come and move into this neighborhood, we're probably not the church plant for you. The next week, 
at our next interest meeting, about 30 people showed up. So I guess that wasn't a very good recruiting method. But we weren't trying to recruit a large team. We were trying to recruit the right team. You see, I wanted the nucleus of this church to live in this neighborhood. As we've grown, obviously there's, there's different people coming from different places, and that's fine. So you, you shouldn't feel out of place. You're, you're welcome here. But I wanted the nucleus of this church to come from this neighborhood. And our ministry as a church is going to be focused on this neighborhood. Why? Why, why did we want to intentionally and strategically do that? There's really two reasons. First, we've already hinted at in our value of diversity. We're a church that values diversity. And guess what? There's a whole lot of diversity here. And in Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples to go to the nations and make disciples. What's interesting is when he says, go to the nations, that word for nations is ethnos. It's where we get our word for ethnicity. He's speaking about different people groups. And so when Jesus gives the call to the nations, that wasn't just a call to go to new geographical places. It was that for some of the disciples, they did leave their homes and go to new geographical places. But for every disciple, regardless of whether they were going or staying, it was a call to reach people who were not like them. It was a call to reach across ethnic groups, to reach across people groups, to be diverse so that the gospel could get out to all kinds of different people. The reality is in Philadelphia... There are a whole lot of ethnoses. There are a whole lot of nations present. And so being a church in Philadelphia gives us a strategic vantage point to reach a whole bunch of different kinds of people. And so we care about the city because of the diversity of the people. And we care about the city because of the density of the people. I come from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. About 24 square miles. 70,000 people live within those 24 square miles. I now live in South Philly. South Philly is 9.7 square miles, so less than half of Cherry Hill. And in these 9.7 square miles, there are over 150,000 people here, so more than double. Follow the math, less than half the size, more than double the people. It's a pretty dense area. There's a lot of people here, and so there's a lot of love for God here. Pastor Tim Keller is a pastor in New York. He said this kind of, I think half joking, uh, but he says the country has more trees than people. The city has more people than trees. Because God loves people more than he loves trees, he must love the city more than he loves the country. Now, obviously, God loves everyone everywhere. But the point is well taken. That God must really care about the city because God does care about people. And there are a whole lot of people in this place. It's interesting, as you read the New Testament, you see Paul's missionary journeys, the places where he'd go to start new churches, it's like a who's who of the biggest cities of the ancient world. And historical sociologists have noted that this is probably one of the things that led to the rapid expansion of Christianity. It was the fact that it was strategically started in diverse and dense areas. Conversely, you start to track the decline of Christianity in America it correlates with the decline of Christianity in our cities. And so as a church, we are unapologetic in our belief that there is an urban imperative, a pressing need for churches to be in cities, and for us, that city is Philadelphia. Now, I want to be clear. Again, I'm from the Burbs. My family is still living out there, giving their lives to serving Jesus on mission in a suburban church, and I praise God for that. We need the gospel in every square inch of the world. And so we need good churches in the burbs. Praise be to God. So I'm not saying that every Christian must be in the city. But I am holding out 
this need. There do need to be more Christians in the city. Now, I know that, again, we have people who come to Christ Church now from outside the city. I want to be clear, you are welcome here. And not only are you welcome here, but I'll be honest, we need as much help as we can get. You're needed here. And so we're grateful that you would come into the city and join us on mission in this place. But we want to be clear, this place is our mission. We want to be clear that our focus is here. Because we believe that if we can have impact here, it will be strategic and maximizing our impact for the kingdom of God. We believe that the mission of God calls for Christians to understand there's an urban imperative for his church. And all this takes us to our final value. As we've talked about all these different values, the reality is we don't want these values to just be for us. No, we want to pass these values on to the next generation. And so value number eight is the next generation. We're a church that values our children. Now, that doesn't necessarily seem like a unique thing. I've yet to meet a church where it's like, we don't value kids here. Like, kids not welcome, you know. Um, so it doesn't seem, doesn't seem that unique. But I do want to say, I, I think it's one thing to tolerate children in church. Another thing to try to, you know, accommodate them as best we can, keep, keep them out of sight so the adult can do their things. It's one thing to tolerate and accommodate children. It's another thing to intentionally welcome them. It's another thing to want to invest in them. It's another thing to want to celebrate them. It's another thing to work hard to create a safe environment for them. And it's another thing to love them with the love of Christ. And so all these values that we've been talking about these past few weeks, they're all great. But if we aren't passing them on to our kids, what are we doing? So we want to see disciples made and matured. And I want to be clear that there are no people that we should be more passionate about seeing made and matured as disciples of Jesus than our kids. More grace joys as a pastor is baptizing children. Not when they're babies, but when they made their own profession of faith in Christ. We did that a couple weeks ago. A young man who was raised in this church, what a glorious thing it was to hear his testimony, to hear him stepping up and owning his faith in Jesus and baptizing him as a believer in Christ. I had a hard time holding it together that morning. Because this is what we want to be about. We want to be about the next generation. Our children are our most important mission field. I don't know the neighbors God's called you to. I don't know the coworkers God's called you to. But if there are children in this church, I'll be very clear, I do know someone God has called you to. God's called us to invest in our kids. And you know, this just means some pretty important things. This means when there's babies that start fussing during the servants, you know, parents can be like, oh my goodness, you know, they always come up to me afterwards. I'm so sorry. It's like, I have bad ears. I didn't hear anything. Um, but like, I'm so sorry and they feel all bad about that. Let's be really clear. Stop apologizing. That sounds of life and mission. Now, as I'm saying that, you know, I'm not saying that we should just be in here and let our kids, you know, wail away. No, we have another room set up, and, you know, we want you to be able to go there and be able to comfort them. And we used to have a pretty sweet setup in the back here uh, where there was, like, all kinds of toys and even snacks for the parents. And uh, we're hoping to get that up and going again. It's not well ventilated, so we haven't been able to open it. Um, but, but we, you know, we want you to be able to go to, to, to places to situate your kids. But at the end of the day, let's be clear, the day we don't have babies crying in church is the day that we're dying as a church. 
we want to be a church that's a great place to bring kids. This is why we keep asking, and you'll hear me ask, for help with our children's ministry. Why are we doing that? Because we're not babysitting kids in there. There's a mission taking place in our children's ministry as we seek to bring the good news of Jesus contextualized to their various age groups. We're hoping to roll out some new phases of our children's ministry soon. If you want to get involved, we'd love to train you, love to equip you, and we could really use you. And in this value, we want to be clear that while it is a parent's sacred task to raise their child in the love and lordship of Jesus, it's primarily the task of a parent to do that, it takes a community to really do that. It takes a community to raise a child, and so valuing the next generation, this isn't just something that I'm saying to parents, this is something I'm saying to each one of us, whether you're married with no kids, whether you're single and don't plan on having kids, whether you're single and you want to have kids, you're not, whatever you're at in life, whether, whether you're a college student or whether you are in your twilight years, this is a call to each and every one of us. This is a value that we all need to carry as a church because our children's salvation is not something we should leave up to our parent, the parents. It's something we should all carry about and carry as a burden as a church. And I feel really passionate about this because this is honestly my testimony. I praise God for the godly parents that I was blessed with. And I praise God for the godly church that I was raised in. Where adults intentionally invested in me. In my teen years, I almost blew up my life. Went, almost went in a really bad direction. That's another story for another time. I tell you what, I praise God that Ruth Williams would meet with my, my, uh, my mom every single week and pray for my soul. I praise God for Steve Finn, who, even though I was a mess, would regularly take time to intentionally encourage me about how he saw God's work in me. And let's be very clear, there was very little work happening. I'm grateful for Ed Wilson and Mark Bailey, who... My dad would drag me early to church to get involved in setting up the chairs. Parents, it's important to have your kids involved in serving the church at a young age. I'm grateful to God that my parents dragged me to church to do that. And then Ed Wilson and Mark Bailey would show me how to work hard serving in the church to the glory of God. I'm grateful for Ken Bond, who was my first boss, who's a Christian, who showed me how to work hard in a job with excellence to the glory of God. I praise God for Mark and Sheila DiMarcangelo, who are the parents of my best friend. I probably had almost as many meals at their house as I did at my own house. As I sat around their kitchen table, just watching them relate to each other, when I think about godly Christian marriage that, that I want to have 40 years from now, I think about Mr. and Mrs. D. But guys, I could go on and on and on, because by the grace of God, I'm a rich man. Because people have strategically invested in me throughout the years. I'm not here standing by myself. I'm really clear. I'm here standing on the shoulders of adults who took time to care for a messed up kid. I'm rich. And I'm eager for our kids to be rich. I'm eager for my kids in this church to be rich. And so valuing the next generation means that we are to have a culture of kids in our church not just being part of our nuclear families, but our whole church seeing them as part of our collective family. And so we pray for our children. We make time for our children. We take time to teach our children. 
we take time to correct our children lovingly and kindly. This is an open invitation. I need your help to correct my kids sometimes, especially when they're running out into the street. Like, feel free to say no and stop them. I just pray that the culture of Christ Church is that we'd be a great place to raise a family. Not because we have these flashy programs that are going to keep your kids entertained. It's actually interesting. If you look at the stats of people who made a profession of faith at a young age and then stay Christians, like post-college after that, you know what makes the difference? It's not the youth program. It's not even the children's program. What makes a difference is did they have adults in their life that cared about them? I'm grateful what God does through our youth programs. I'm grateful what God does through our children's programs. But ultimately, what's going to help us pass on our faith to the next generation is not just having programs, but having people involved in our children's lives. This is something we all should care about. And so may we as a church own the responsibility, each one of us, regardless of our season of life, may each one of us own a responsibility to pass the faith on to the next generation. As we bring this series to a close, try to finish answering this question, why church? The reality is there's a whole lot more that could be said. And even the things that we've said already, like each of these values, you know, the pastors maybe split it up into two sermons. I could have split this up into eight sermons on each value. And the reality is each of those eight sermons could be a series unto themselves. We could keep talking about these things endlessly. There's so much more that can be said. So we're not, we're not talking about why church. We're not trying to answer this exhaustively. But we are trying to answer it faithfully because at the heart of it, as much as there can be said about the church, and you, you could just talk about it forever, as much as could be said about the church, it really does all boil down to one simple thing. Why church? Because of the gospel. Why church? Because the gospel calls us out of our individualism to be a community of faith in Christ. Why church? Because the gospel calls us to be members of Christ's body. Why church? Because the gospel calls us to maintain our unity in Christ. Why church? Because the gospel gives us these things to value as a way to honor Christ. In other words, why church? We say it right in our church's name. Why church? Because we are Christ's church. And all that we do, all of who we are, is for the praise, honor, and glory of Christ. That's why, church. Let's bow our heads in prayer.